we're going to look at parables. We're going to look at three of them. Jesus told 30 to 35, depending on what you classify. He was a master storyteller, a teacher unlike others. When he talked, people said he talked with authority. Right? It's, it's unlike anybody else. And, and the definition for parables, if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably heard this. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Sounds great. But I think it's a horrible definition. Because it makes it sound like it's a story about things that go on down here that one day will be relevant to us in heaven. And, and that's not why I think he told them. I think... I mean, when you look at why we tell stories, why we tell kids stories, we don't really think about why we do. But kids, when they're little, when you're reading them stories, they learn who, what, what good is, what bad is. They learn about heroes and villains. They learn about justice. They learn all these things from the stories that they pick up. Stories help shape the way we understand the world. They help us come to, to terms with the complexity of the world and, and where we fit in it. And the reason I want to go back to the parables is because Jesus, I think, told stories to do the same exact thing. The, the stories are about this new reality. He came and he said, the kingdom of God, or in Matthew, which we'll be reading today, the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. It's here. That when Jesus came, all of a sudden, things radically changed. Now, it's not here fully, but it's here with us. And parables are these stories that help us understand the way the kingdom operates. Now, I'm, and I'm always nervous about doing parables. I love, that's a cool frog, right? Where is he? There he is. That's a really cool frog. You like that frog, eh? Yeah. You got a frog? You, no, you, you want to help click? That's all right. Next time maybe, but not today, buddy. I'll do that because I know when it's supposed to click. Over there, you could do it. All right. Anyway, I love the frog, right? It's cool. You could take it home. You could hear it. You could play it. It'd pee in your hand if you picked it up. I guarantee it, right? <laughs> and, and you learn about a frog by experience. You can also learn frog, about a frog by doing this. But at the end of this, what do you have? You have a dead frog. And I, I, I wade into the parables really carefully because I would like the parables to look more like this for you, alive. Than like, like if you understand the parable at the end, but it's dead, what good is that? So I'm, I'm going to go hopefully... Uh, telling you these stories uh, in the context of the kingdom. We'll start Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Bible or your phone that has a Bible, uh, if you don't, I'll just read it out to you. Matthew 13, 24 to 30. It's a short parable. And I'm sure you may have heard it before. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, see that's what he's saying again, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A man who sowed good seed in his field but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. And the servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. See, I want us to start by looking at, at the story itself, this, this wheat, weeds, and waiting, this thing that's going on. We're just going to look at the parable, and, and there's probably nothing too earth-shattering as we go through it. But sometimes if you just slow down long enough, 
I, li I live in Hopin, and um, right now I'm going back on my couch to 5K. Have you ever done that where you train yourself to run a 5K? You run yeah. for a minute, and you walk for a minute. And, and so when I'm running through town, I'm quite slower than when I'm driving through town. <laughs> Impressively slower. But I notice so many more things about my neighbor's yard and what's in their back alley and all this great stuff, right? Because, and so we're going to just kind of slowly walk through the parable. And the first thing is this phrase that Jesus says over and over, the kingdom of heaven is like, and especially in Matthew 13, there's, there's five or six parables that talk about that. He's, he's saying, this is what it's like in the kingdom of God. Now you say, but wait a second, that says heaven, Jeff. That's, Matthew is writing to Jews. And Jews, you, you know, a lot of Jews would not say the word God because it was too holy. So, whereas the other Gospels, who are writing mainly to Gentiles in a mix, will say the kingdom of God, Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven. Same exact thing. But what Matthew's doing, he's saying Jesus is broken into the world, and Jesus is teaching us about what it's like when he's the king, which he is the king. I mean, we talk about the resurrection. He was exalted to the highest place and given the name above every name. He's already the king. So when Jesus says what the kingdom of heaven is like, he's talking about right here, right now, not what it will be eventually. That's a very important thing to note. And then, then the action is just that this farmer and both his enemy, they go out and they sow this seed. The action is taken by the owner of the field. The action is taken by his enemy. They both do the same thing. They use different seed. They use it for different purposes. The enemy comes at night under the cover of darkness. And the word used for weeds here... It is a word that was used to reference a weed in that time called darnell. I don't know. I'm, I'm not from Saskatchewan. Anybody here from Saskatchewan, wheat farmer, any of those guys? Okay, good. No experts. I can just be as idiotic as I, I can be ignorant. I can act like I'm the expert. There's wheat and there's darnell, and until they sprout heads, they look exactly the same. Exactly. Until the head appears, and then you can tell the difference between the two. And that's why you see in verse, I guess it is 26, when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The weeds had been there the whole time, but they just looked the same. But as soon as the wheat sprouts ahead, they go, oh, that's not wheat, that's, that's Darnell. And, and they want to clean it up immediately. But the master says, no, the crops have to grow together. The main reason is by the time you can tell the Darnell is the Darnell, if you pull it up, its, it's roots are entwined with the wheat. And it's still not ready to harvest. So if you try to pull out the weeds, you're going to uproot all the, weed as, all the weed as well. So the master says, wait, the solution will come in time because the harvest, when it's time for harvest, you can clearly see what it is. And then if you pull out the weed, it's no big deal because you're harvesting the wheat anyway. So what do they do now? They just wait. Now, it seems like a pretty simple story. And we have tons of understanding. We've, how many of you have heard this story before? Okay, one of you, two of you, great, that's great. Um, a lot of us have heard this story before, and it's fairly straightforward, okay, if we get it, story, farmer, enemy, got it. Um, what's, what's interesting to me is the disciples did not get it. They, they asked a question in verse 36. They said, um, where's it at? He left the crowd, went to the house, and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And you know why the disciples said that? Because they were men. Because women intuit, and men are just concrete thinkers. We have a hard time, you know, uh, getting reading between the lines. And so these disciples say, what exactly did that mean? If there had been 12 women disciples, they probably would have been vibing it the whole way. Oh, I get, with you. I get what you're saying. But the men were like, he told the story about weeds and wheat. 
what the heck is that about? Is this farming school or is this Jesus school? What kind of school is this, right? Uh, so Jesus then gives the interpretation. Now just listen to what Jesus said. Verse 37, he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. See, he's being really literal because they're men. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. One to one course. This means this. This means this. You got it, guys? And as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Love that phrase, right? And, and so what, if, if we understand what it means, then what are some lessons? Anybody here, everybody here got ears? What are some lessons for those who have ears? You got ears, Carter. Good for you, buddy. I, I want to focus on four. The first two, I think, are really obvious. The other two may surprise you. But we're going to focus on four lessons, and then we're going to wrap up by talking about how do we live this out today. The first one that really should be obvious is that the world belongs to God. A farmer goes out to sow, and the farmer is the son of man, and the field is the world. It's his field. Verse 38 says that. The field is the world, and it belongs to the farmer. It belongs to the master of the field. And one of the lessons of this parable is that the world belongs to God. I know that sounds really duh, but it, it's a very powerful yeah. thing, and it can actually bring you a lot of peace. I, when I was a kid, um, we went to a amusement park with my dad. Well, this happened lots of times. My dad had a phrase he would say, because I was, I was kind of timid about things. I didn't like scary things. And there was this, I don't know, what did they do this at amusement parks? There's this kind of crane thing with a, a ball on the end of it that you can sit inside. It's like a cage, and it lifts you like 10 stories in the air. And, and so we go in there, and I'm absolutely terrified. Uh, I, I just can't believe it. I'm probably six or seven, really brave kid, <laughs> terrified. And my dad says to me, he puts his arm around me, and he says to me, do you think I would ever take you anywhere where you would get hurt? And at six and seven, I still didn't know that my dad wasn't omniscient and on the, on the point that he, that, that he, he, you know, he might take me somewhere that by his fault I might get hurt. But I didn't know that then. And I remember that, that assurance that my dad was with me here. He's the one that brought me here. Allowed me to relax and actually enjoy that right same thing when, when we realize that the world belongs to God and it's his. We can, we can rest a little bit more. And in, you know the worst place to learn that lesson is on Facebook. Because everybody's terrified of every single thing on Facebook. And everything is blowing apart. And if we don't stop it, it's going to die. And the church is hooped. This is my little pet peeve, and I'll probably come back to it 14 times over the course of the week. Don't believe everything that you read on Facebook. The world belongs to God. And that's one of the lessons of this parable, right? The second one, and this, this you can believe from Facebook too, is the reality of good and evil. That's another one that you think, okay, but, but often we're like the servants. You know, God, if this is your world, what happened? Why is there bad here? Why? I, we, we know that you planted wheat. We know that you want good for the world. We know that it's yours. So why are the weeds here? Why is this bad stuff going on? Suffering, 
pain, you know, flip, pick up a newspaper, open CNN or Fox News, depending on what flavor you are, and you will see evil in the world right alongside the good. The truth is that there is good and evil. And, and I'm sorry to tell you this, but I've got even worse news. There's good and evil in the world, but there's also good and evil in you and me. There's good and bad in everyone, says Michael Jackson, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Carter. There's this great quote, Alexander Solzhenitsyn in the Gulag Archipelago. says, if there were only evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? You see, this is one of the key ideas in Scripture, is that even within us, something is broken. And we'll talk about this on Monday morning, the last day, about the image of God. We were created in the image of God. We have this powerful thing that God has given to us in being created in His image. All of humanity was created in the image of God. And, and, and the image of God connotes something of great power. It's a tool. It's, it's creative. It can do a lot of things. It's kind of like this. They've got some of these at camp here. They do amazing things with chainsaws at camp, right? It's a, it's a powerful tool. But what happens is, because we're broken human beings, us with the image of God looks a little bit like this, right? We have this powerful thing, but we don't have the character and the integrity and the strength to actually operate it in a way that's productive instead of destroying people. We have to be careful there with what's going on. We have these dark corners of our lives. Now, here's, here's one of the lessons for people with ears that might surprise you. There's good and evil in the world, and often it's difficult to tell the difference. And that's the thing I see in this parable. Until it starts producing fruit, you don't know what's what. Right? If, if in 26 we, we can miss something, it says when, when the heads appear, the weeds appear. It's a weak counterfeit. How many times has evil masqueraded as good? We thought it was good, thought it was good, thought it was good, and eventually you're like, oh no. I, I, I pick on the government a lot too. Anybody remember this line? Let's just have a temporary GST. We'll just make a temporary GST. It'll solve some of the problems, and then we'll take it away. Right? Those kind of things happen all the time. We think something is good until we see the fruit of it. It might be evil. And you know what? The reality is the other way. We think, so. I mean, if you've had something in your life that you thought, this is horrible. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And now as you look back, yeah, that was pretty necessary. I had to learn some lessons there that I wouldn't have gotten any other way. See, often it's, it's very hard to tell the difference between good and evil. There was a time in the history of the church when going and killing people in the Crusades in order to convert them to Jesus was seen as a good thing. That was not a good thing. Right? We know that now. But sometimes it takes time for that to happen. And, and evil, too, is tremendously sly. We, we, we want certain things to be true, so we believe them. And eventually, if we're not careful, they can destroy us. One thing that Jesus is saying here is sometimes in determining the difference between good and evil, you have to wait. You have to wait. Because the way we uproot evil can damage the good. Verse 29 of the text. 
He says, no answer, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. See, our reaction whenever we see evil is to eradicate it, eliminate it, get rid of it, destroy it, do whatever we can. When something we think is bad is there. Avoid it, get away from it. But the, the truth is, sometimes we have to wait. You know, one of the things about evil is this. The more you try to wipe it out, the more it multiplies. Especially when you just try to wipe it out your way. Let me give you a, When I first was studying this passage, it was right after, well, not right after, but not too long after the Iraq War. And you remember all the horrible things that happened in the Abu Ghraib prison where the American soldiers were doing horrible things to the captives. And I just thought, you know what? They, the war supposedly was brought on to, to deal with an evil problem. But what happened was, was that evil actually multiplied. And what I find sometimes is that when we try to quash evil in our methods, what we actually do is multiply it and multiply it. I've seen it in the church over and over when people say, this is the right thing to do, and they begin to enforce that on everybody. And what ends up happening is pride and arrogance and all these things just start bubbling up. Evil is multiplying. And, and I think we have to be careful with the way that we deal with the two. Because when we try to uproot evil, I'm not saying we need to tolerate evil. I'm not saying just, just let things go. Oh, just let whatever happens, happen. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying sometimes the way we address it is not the way that God would want us to address it. Jesus came to deal with the ultimate evil, and he died on the cross, which was not did not look successful at the time. Yet that's exactly... He... he, he the way he dealt with evil is he absorbed it. He took all the evil the world had to give, let it be directed to him to the point of death, and then he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And because of that was resurrection and transformation. See, usurping the role of the master is a dangerous thing. When, when we make mistakes in regard to defining what is evil and what is good, and when we do damage by trying to get rid of evil our way, a lot of times we create more problems than we multiply them. Right? Even Jesus didn't rid the world of evil yet, did he? Like he? He died on the cross, he rose from the dead. The question is, why are there still weeds here? He says, because it's, sometimes it's hard to determine what's what. And you need to trust that when I return, I will take care of that. I will deal with those issues. But, but sometimes we have to wait. So what do we do? How, how do we live in spite of that? How do we live the story today? Well, that's really what we're trying to do, to listen to the stories, to not kill the frog, but to hear it. And, and to, how do we actually apply some of that today? Well, there's three things I'll leave you with. One, remember whose field you're in. The world is a really messy place. Good is there, evil is there. I'm sure you guys have no trouble defining the good things in your life and the evil, difficult things in your life, the painful things. But the point is that God, the one who is on the throne, owns the whole field. He is the master of the field. This morning in my uh, devotional time, I, I came up to Revelation 4. I've been reading through Revelation just because uh, I find it a really light and easy book to read. <laughs> But it's just fitting. I hit chapter 4 today. There's 11 verses in it. And it's this picture of the throne room. 
John hears the voice that's been speaking to him, and the doors open in heaven, and all of a sudden he's transported up there, and there's this big throne, and this thing on it. There's someone on it, he says, that looks like jade, and all these different, and there's thunder and lightning, and a rainbow, and, and you can't really see it, and there's this sea of crystal all around it, and 24 elders, and these four beasts that are have eyes all over them. To me, that sounds a little, but it, what, the, the whole thing is there's this huge, huge throne room in heaven that's happening right now. And, and th- these four preachers are crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The heaven and, earth are full, heaven and earth are full of your glory. And when they do that, the 24 elders bow down and they say, worthy are you because you created all, their thing, all things. By your will they were created and have their being. And I just thought that's the picture of God owning the field. Everything that you see in the world, whether we like it or not, somehow God in his providence, in his wisdom, is allowing it to be there for this time. Now, I would renegotiate that contract if I had a chance. There's a lot of things I'd like to get rid of in my life. But we have to first of all remember, <laughs> you know, we, we are in the field of God. That's where we live. There's peace in that. There's also questions in that. I'm not saying it's easy to figure out how God could allow this to happen. But it's his field. Psalm 89.11 says, The heavens are yours and yours the earth. You founded the world and all that's in it. When I, we take a team to Guatemala from our church every couple of years, and the first time we went, or that I went, we heard the story of this uh, missionary. His name was Pedro Fortin, and he used to travel during the Civil War in Guatemala. He used to travel through the mountains planting churches. And I think by that time he planted 37 different churches, in the, and it wasn't a good time to travel because there was the Civil War going on in the country. And, and people were shooting each other, Guatemalan rebels and Guatemalan soldiers. You didn't know who was who. And he would get caught by the, by the rebels or the soldiers sometimes, and they would say, what are you doing wandering through the mountains here? And he would say, I'm planting churches. And they would threaten him, and they would say, we're going to kill you. And he had a phrase he always used. Oops. Sorry. I'm ahead of myself. Shoot. Okay. Let me tell you this other story. Back up. Put a pause on Guatemala. Okay? Come back to this world. There's a uh, wrecking yard in Polk. This is my other example of the field is the Lord's. And then we'll get to Guatemala. There's a wrecking yard in Holt. And they have this mean, mean dog. Because at nighttime they go home and it's all chained in. And they don't want people breaking in and dealing with the car. So they have this really mean dog who patrols the lot in the night. During the day, the dog is on this big, long chain. And so there's a, you can tell because when people come into the yard, the dog goes, rah, 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 poof, hits the end of the chain. The funny thing is there's also a cat that lives in the yard. And, and the dog kind of looks, I mean, he looks like this, right? Mm-hmm. And that's him pushing against his chain. And there's this line where the end of his chain is. And the cat likes to sleep right there, <laughs> right? And I love this picture because, to me, the world is the Lord's. And there is a limit to evil. There is a limit to what the devil can do to us. There is a limit where he will be stopped. And we can relax, even in the middle of the difficulty, because he is limited. He is not the one who owns the world. I put my timing on that one. Can we start all over? Just kidding. Um, but but I, I want you to realize that. Now, the second lesson, which I'm... There's Shinfrey, and I'm almost... There it is. Why did I not have that in here? Back to Guatemala, are you with me? Yes. Okay, good. Boy, this is 
humbling for me. He used to say, siempre ganamos. How many Spanish speakers do we have in here? Any Spanish speakers? What does that mean? What would you say that means? We always win. So when, they, when the rebels captured him or the Guatemalan soldiers captured him, they would say, we're going to kill you. And he would just say, okay, siempre ganamos. We always win. And they'd say, what do you mean we always win? Translation. What do you mean we always win? And he'd say, well, you know, if you kill me, I go to you God. I win. If you let me live, I go on I plant another church. I win. Siempre ganamos. And I, and I think I love that image. Because that is a guy who understands that the field belongs to God. And that even in death, they cannot take anything away from him. The field is the Lord's. That's one of the messages that we can apply to our life. When we go into our world and we see weeds everywhere we go and we think, God, why don't you deal with this? We can know for some reason he's leaving it at this point, but he will deal with things. Second thing we can apply Allow time to clarify the truth. And there's two angles on this. One is be careful about jumping to conclusions for other people. That's where we get into trouble when we define another person's motivations and we jump to conclusions. They're doing the wrong thing. I need to get rid of them. I, need, I, I can't stand them. They're a horrible person. We define it too quickly what's happening. Fruit takes time. And the truth usually bubbles to the top, but not immediately. So extend some grace to people. Don't always just jump to the conclusion that you know exactly what they're thinking or their motivation. That's one angle on this. But second, don't jump to conclusions about your own circumstances either. There's biblical stories. One of the best ones is Joseph, right? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He went to prison. He was, he was, you know, finally he rose to the top. And at the end, the brothers are horrified when they realize that what they've done to their brother, and now he's the one in power over them, and they're terrified. And Joseph says, don't worry. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. You see that principle? Sometimes the, the stuff in our life that is such a mess that we don't even... I think, God, why do you allow this? The beautiful thing is, because he owns the field, he's the one that can transform all those things into good, even if we don't understand how it could ever happen. Like I say, crucifixion did not look like a victory. And yet it was. So what do we do? We live as wheat in a weedy world. The parable gives us directions about these priorities that we should set. We, we are supposed to live. Maybe we can't eradicate evil. Maybe we can't uproot it fully. But we live, and that's one of the things that's different. Instead of destroying evil, what if we incarnated the good everywhere we went? What if we lived like wheat? What the text doesn't say, rid the world of evil. Grasp power so you can make the world a better place. So many times the church, I'm American and Canadian, thanks to the good Lord, I'm both, it balances me out. But one of the things I see in my old home country is they really think if you just have enough power, you can fix the world. And I want to say, how's that working for you? Right? It, it doesn't work that way. What works is people living the example of Jesus and offering their lives. It's not ascending to the power where you control everybody else and eliminate evil. It's, it's surrendering yourself even to the point of loss and suffering so that God can, can use that kind of thing. Your goal as believers is to be the body of Christ and live out what God's called us to. So here we are. That's it. Questions, comments. This is that moment. Either you'll talk or it'll be awkward and I'll pray. Any questions or comments?
Carter's got one. Can you take this home? No, you cannot take this home. Any other questions or comments? Yes. Uh, in every gospel, in the beginning, there is introduction uh, that one hand who will baptize you with the Spirit and fire. And then, I don't know if you gospel, it says, he has the fan in his hand yeah. to see Yeah. And then, in uh, uh, later on in the gospel, Jesus says, Sift you like we. So the fan is in his hand is the enemy, right? Yeah. That's why I I think, believe it or not, this is this is my theology coming out, and 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 it's me. So don't. I think God actually uses Satan to do good in our lives, which makes Satan furious. Satan turns. I mean, to me, that's the cross. Jesus comes, Satan says, I got you, kaboom, you're dead, ha ha, boom, he's not. And God says, Satan, what you intended for evil, I'm going to transform the world with it. And I think the same thing happens in our lives. Satan throws things at us that are difficult and painful and not fun, and, and yet somehow God can bring beauty out of ashes. The problem is sometimes we get so wrapped up in what Satan's doing, we don't trust his field we're in in the middle. We try to we try to defeat or overcome or what I don't know. I think sometimes we just trust that God will use this. I, I I've got to live my life trusting that this is God's field that I'm growing in. And there's weeds and weeds, and for some reason He's leaving it together. But He promises that one day. I mean, the end of the interpretation He says, and, and at the end of that, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He is doing something in your life that's going to transform you to be fully righteous and shine like the sun. The question is, can we trust enough in the middle of this weed and wheat time to let it be what God wants it to be and receive what he's giving? Does that, make, does that answer you? I, I do think yeah. he does. I, I, I think Satan is totally lost. The, the phrase that you said, it makes him actually pure. It makes him that, yes, whatever he's doing, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that's not the kind of thing when somebody's in the middle of a crisis and Satan is throwing everything at them that you just go say, "Oh, it's okay. That'll make it all better." Right? That's not what you do with that kind of information. But in your own life, when you feel like I just can't do it, realize where you are. God's going to win this, right? And there's something in this. If I can trust what He's doing for me. And, and there may be times that you have to take action and, and, and stand up against. There may be things like that that he calls you to do. But I'm just saying just because it's there doesn't mean he's failed in this project. He's actually using everything. That's Romans 8.28. We know that God works for the good, all things together for the good of those who love him. I don't know how that works. I don't know how it looks. And it's not an easy truth. But I think that's what this is teaching. He's going to let this stuff grow together. But one day, it'll be perfect. And the righteous will shine. I'm going to pray because everybody's out there and they're chomping to go a bit. Thank you for listening and putting up with me on a beautiful Sunday. It's always Sunday like this in Hope, just so you know those who don't know. That's what it looks like every day, so anytime you want to come back, feel free. Let's pray. God, we live in the middle of this world that's full of good and evil, and we even see it in our own heart. But we thank you that the cross has made a way for us to be forgiven and transformed. We thank you that we know that you will defeat 
and destroy evil. And in fact, you will use whatever evil is here to transform us if we can just receive what you're doing in our lives. Give us wisdom about when to act, when to, to, to seek to bear fruit all the time. Wisdom about how to trust in the middle of difficult situations. And, and help us just enjoy this beautiful day, which is a gift from you. Amen.